on a gram of tea. Okay. So we are discussing the three elements of Torah study. How uh, Torah is called an inheritance. Torah is called a payment, and Torah is called a gift. And we said that in this in this conversation, we got into the discussion about. Um, the first step of Torah study. And we said that that the Gemara says when you begin to study Torah, you study Torah for yourself. And we said that's a positive thing. That in order to reach studying Torah altruistically for the sake of Hashem, step number one is you have to feel that there's something good for you in what you're doing. Um, and that's the first step of Torah study. And that's the advice Hashem gives a person. As the Talmud says, when the Yitzhah is starting up with you, drag, draw him draw him into the study hall. And although it's not, we always were translating this as drag yourself from the study hall, go with grit, force yourself to do the right thing, the Rebbe points out that we're not trying to, the words are dra- draw him into the study hall, which means that you're trying to not just um, force yourself to do the right thing, but you're trying to actually engage your animal soul to want to do the right thing. You want, you want to find out what's, 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 what's good for you and what you're doing. Um, you're not it sounds very similar to another similar concept which is not true that is that the previous Rebbe says says in Gemara that the Yitzhahara doesn't tell you right away to do the wrong thing he tells you um, do A and then next day he says do B until he gets his survivals so the Yitzhahara by having a say in what you're in your life, he's able to get you to, to serve idols. So the previous have explained another occasion that uh, when he says to you to do A, he's not telling you to do something wrong. He's telling you to do something right. But he's saying to you, A is okay because I agree that it's okay. So thank you very very much. A is okay because I say that it's okay. It's not because that A is really okay. He says I say that A is okay. So because you're letting him have. A, uh, a a footing in your in you, so he gets you to to do worse and worse. It's kind of like uh, the analogy that's given of this guy who sells this thirty million dollar house in Malibu, and uh, the buyer is very excited. And the first day of of, of his uh, celebrating his newly acquired purchase, um, someone comes into the house and he says, "Hey, could I buy the house?" He says, "No, you can't buy the house." He says, "All I want to do is." is just by at least um, a hook to hang my towel when I go swimming in the beach. So you're like, what? You're like, yeah, just, just a hook. And he offers like a million dollars for a hook. And you're like, well, how can I say no to that? We still you say no to that. But then the guy takes that hook and he uh, starts making your life miserable. He comes there at all hours of the day with his friends to show them his hook in the house in Malibu. And it's worth it for you to just leave the house to him in order that you should just shouldn't have to uh, deal with him anyway. So, so that's the it's a harder work. He tries to get a hook in the house of Malibu. He tries to just just hook us in with um, with allowing us uh, by us allowing him to have a say in our life. So, it's not a contradiction to what we're saying over here that you should find a um, find a some kind of motive your animal soul will like in what you're doing. It's, it's not. It sounds very similar, but it's not. In the first case, is Yitzhahara is the one who's talking. He's the one in control. And he's saying to you, you could do this because I let you, because this is okay. 
In the second instance, it's your neshama talking. And your neshama is saying, I want you to know in the animal soul that this, I'm going to throw you a bone over here. I want you to know there's something in, in this for you as well. I am not doing this because of what... I'm, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. We're doing this either way. But I'm, I want you to also realize that there's something beneficial for you as well. It's a, it sounds it's very subtly uh, similar, but um, it's a whole different direction. Your goal in, in, in the discourse is to reach this, a, a state of lishma, doing it for the right reason. But you're starting off with, I'm doing this for the wrong reason. The Yitzhahara, he wants you really to, to, sell, to own the house. He wants that you shouldn't do anything good. He wants to seduce you. And we learned yesterday that when he gets you to do the wrong thing, besides the fact that he, he stops you from doing the right thing, you're not doing Torah, you're not doing tefillah, um, besides that, he... Um, he wants, you to, he wants you to totally give up the house. He wants, to, the house of Hashem. he wants you to totally not be in the presence of Hashem. So, you, you, what your response is, we're going to shul. And let me tell you what, to, what we're going to learn Torah. And something beneficial for you as well over here. And there is a great effort that you need to have in Torah study um, to, to, um, to, for the Torah to, uh, to acquire Torah. That's the first step in Torah study. The inheritance of Torah. I'm sorry. The, the payment in Torah that you get in Torah as much as you put in and you have to overcome your, your animal soul and your Yitzhahara as learned yesterday the animal soul is the intellectual part of the Yitzhahara Yitzhahara is the emotional part the animal soul is where things it's a narrative you tell yourself about what, what anything is the animal soul says this thing is good because and therefore the Yitzhahara now has an emotional picture of whatever it is based upon the animal soul's uh, narrative so, so your role in studying Torah is not only to force yourself to do it, but that you, you, you give a narrative, the animal soul, to that Torah study is looked at as something beneficial. And you work hard in it, and you acquire Torah. That's step one. Now, we're going to learn step two. I'm going to get, get a little, little capitalistic. So uh, let's go a little slow so we, we, we follow the, 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 the uh, flow of the discourse. The second concept is the inheritance of Torah. That is clearly in the Torah. The Torah Moshe commanded us is the inheritance of the community of Yaakov. So let's dissect that verse. The Torah that Moshe commanded us. The word command also means connect. Moshe Rabbeinu, his essence is about the divine sphere Das. Das is the ability to feel Hashem's truth. Elsewhere, the Rebbe Rash writes, and he discusses, that compared to souls who have Das, Das is translated usually as knowledge. But in Chassidus, Das doesn't just mean knowledge, Das means a real bond with something. Like the analogy that's given in Tanya is Adam knew Eve. When Adam is physically intimate with Eve, the Torah uses the, the, the words Adam knew Eve. It's not because the Torah is shy with the using, talk about physical intimacy, it's because the Torah is also telling us what the word knowing means. To know something means to be really connected with it. So when you say Moshe Rabbeinu has das, it doesn't just mean Moshe knows about Hashem, it means that Moshe Rabbeinu is connected with Hashem in a very real way. So there are two kinds of souls. There are souls which have that, and they're called souls of man, and there are souls which don't have that, and they're called souls, animal-like souls. So, 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 the Rebbe Rash writes that compared to those souls who have das, 
Other souls are literally like animals. That's how distant they are. That's a, that's the kind of gap that exists that exists between the tzaddik and regular people. That they part, they, they they have a whole different frequency of awareness. Just like there's distance between us and, and animals, that's the distance between us and tzaddikim. They, they feel the truth of Hashem. So Moshe commanded us the Torah. The word "commanded" also means to connect. Moshe Rabbeinu, whose 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 sphere is das. That's what his essence is about, his, connect, his connection to godliness. He connects us with Teirah. He is the one whose, whose energy um, nourishes the souls of Israel to feel, albeit in a more some subtle way, a connection to Teirah. That's the first part of the verse. Moshe Rabbeinu Das connects us to Teirah. We feel the truth of Teirah, feel the reality of Teirah, we feel the value of Teirah. So that's the role of Moshe Rabbeinu. He gives us das. He gives us some kind of appreciation, deep appreciation for Torah. Then there's a second part of the verse: the inheritance of the community of Yaakov. What's the meaning of inheritance over here? It says that we, our connection to the godly sparks that animate all physical things, is. When we use something physical for something for something positive, so let's say we have a cup of tea. Oh, Chaim, see a cup of tea. Oh, you don't have one. So well, let me share one with me. So when you use something physical for something spiritual, you actually have the right thing in mind, and you're actually using something physical for something spiritual. Do you extract the godly sparks from that physical thing, and you bring it up? to its divine source. So, the sparks of holiness that are in all physical things, they come from the world of chaos. The world of chaos, the world of Teyu, had very powerful lights which shattered the vessels of the world of Teyu. The powerful lights of the world of Teyu, the seven spheres which exist in Atzilus, Chesed, Gvurat, Feres, Kindness, Attraction, rejection, synthesis, all different spheres in the world of Teyu, which exist in the world of Atzilus as well, um, they were very intense. Each sphere said it has to be my way and other way. And Achas said, said all there should be in the world is kindness, nothing else. So that caused there to be the shattering of the vessels. And as a result of the shattering of the vessels, a spark of holiness, uh, the sparks of holiness, in the, of the world of Teyu, I were able to descend uh, to a quantum leap, a very distant, lower level than where they were from, uh, in this holy world of Teyu, they were able to, because of the shattering of vessels, they fell to this world to animate all physical things. So, just like it says in the Torah, there, there were kings that ruled over the land of Israel before there were Jewish kings. So, so too, the godly sparks in the physical things, they originate from the kings, which means the spheres that are in the world of Teyu. They come from a very high place. Just like there are kings in, in, in Israel before uh, there are Jewish kings, so too the, the, the world of chaos existed before and is higher than the world of perfection, the world of Atzilus. 
So, and actually, the, the, the world of Atsilos, the seven series of Atsilos, they originate from uh, the world of chaos. Chaos originate, exists before and is higher than the world of perfection. The, there are four names of Hashem. Um, one of the names of Hashem, they're all the name Yud Kevavke. Yud Kevavke is spelled in different ways. You could spell Yud Kevavke uh, out, and each letter each letter you spell out. So, like, for example, the first letter Yud is spelled as Yud and Vav Dalet. The second letter Hey is spelled as Hey or Hey Aleph. You could spell Hey, hey as Hey Yud. You could spell Hey as Hey Hey. Hey, Dr. Rest, are you following? Yeah. I'm trying. Yes. Okay. So the world of chaos is associated with the name of Hashem, which is numerically equivalent to 63. It's Yud Kevav Kei, but as Yud Kevav is spelled out, equals 63. That's the world of chaos. So that's a very high, lofty name of Hashem, but it descended through this shattering of vessels, and because it has descended, these divine attributes of the world of chaos became vested in physical things. As we learned last week, it's like you have a word, and the word conveys an idea. And imagine taking that word and cutting that, and putting that word in a blender. Now, you have all these parts of an olive, and parts of a base, and parts of a gimel. There's no meaning now in this word anymore. But there's something on that energy of that word. If 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 there, if a words have energy, and they do, so there's something left in those in that, those um, in those 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 particles of that letter. That's what happens to the spheres of Teu. They, they, they're shattering the vessels. That each part, each, 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 each shard of the vessel has something from the light of the world of Teu. And that's what, what, what eventually emerges as the physical things we see in this world. Go ahead. You have something to say? No, okay. Good, okay. So, there are, and so as a result of the shattering of the vessels, we have, we have wool, and with wool we make tzitzis. We have animal hide, with that we make film. We have the lulav and the esterik, we do the mitzvah of sukkah, and all their mitzvahs with physical, physical things. When we do that, we elevate and we refine the sparks that have fallen to klippah, that fall into the realm of the unholy. And this is especially accomplished by Hashem exiling us throughout history and throughout, um, throughout the world in the four exiles. As it says in the Torah, Hashem says, I have spread you out to the four uh, directions. So, so the purpose of this is to uh, elevate these sparks. So although the Talmud says that God did a kindness for us by spreading us out, the Talmud is saying that on a simple level is because when a Haman tries to destroy us, it's impossible because there's always Jews somewhere else, as happened in the previous generation. Haman tried to destroy us, and the Jews are still around. The Jews escaped to other countries. Um, so the Talmud says it's a kindness that God did, for, did, did to us by spreading us through all nations, but yet it's still in exile, and it's still being scattered. It's not, it's not all positive. It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not all peaches and cream. Um, it says in the Talmud, just like the world cannot exist without ruches, I think Ruches means directions. The world cannot exist without the various north, south, east, and west, higher and lower. The world that you need all the directions for the world to exist. So too says the Talmud, the world cannot exist without the Jewish people. Um, I don't think it's referring to winds, but maybe it is. Could the world exist without wind, Doctor Bressman? 
Well, no. No, why not? Because, well, in a physical sense, okay, wind is needed for the propagation of seeds and pollen. Wind is needed for evaporation and, the, and cycle of you know turning water to clouds and back and forth. Mm -hmm. you know. Okay. Uh, I mean, I look at it in a physical way. Okay, uh, that, that, that the Gemara is talking about something physical, but I'm not sure what the word means in the simple sense. The word, the words of Gemara, it's impossible for what exists without ruches. Ruches could also mean directions. Like in the previous verse we quoted, it says, "Ka'arba ruches Hashemayim." I've spread you out to the four directions. Doesn't mean I spread you out to the four no. winds. And winds are described as north, east, south, and west by directions. Right. So, so you're saying we have the same problem in English as we have in Hebrew to, to, to understand what we're talking about. Um, okay, so um, wh whether we're talking about wind or not, the, the words of the Talmud are the world cannot exist without the Jewish people as it cannot exist without Ruches. So the word world also means concealment, and the word. Ruches, whatever the literal translation of Ruches is, it means limitation. That's why I wanted it. That's why I think it means directions. It's not like the world cannot exist without its limitations, so too it cannot exist without the Jewish people. You cannot have, so the Rebbe now translates this into, in, into, into um, what this means spiritually. You cannot have a concealment without a limitation. To create a concealment, that's the first be limitation. Limitation is what causes it to be concealment. So, what does that mean? Uh, you can't have a concealment without a limitation. I think what that means is, is that if the world of Atsilos would extend and would never stop, there would, there would be no concealment. What, what causes concealment? That the light of Atsilos stops in Atsilos. Concealment is created by limitation. Whereas Rebbe once spoke about how, when we finished davening, Rebbe spoke about how just like Mashiach told the Baal Shem Tev that he's going to come when the wellsprings of Hasidus will be spread to the outside, so too the Rebbe said that each of us has a wellspring within us. We have, we have a deeper part of our neshama. And there's a part of us which is called the outside. And we have to spread our wellspring to the outside, which means although there's part of our day which we consider to be the outside, it's not part of where our wellspring needs to be, but we have to spread to the outside, we have to also bring the wellspring into those things that we consider the outside. The analogy the Rebbe gave in that particular um, time was was Tillim, after davening. A lot of people feel that, okay, I'm davening, that's when I'm, you know, that's what, at, I'm saying Shema, I'm doing Shema I'm at my wellspring point right now. Now I'm going to give it my all. And then all of a sudden they get to this point of davening, like, okay, uh, <laughs> now I'm done. So, so they turn the wellspring off. And spring wellspring to the outside means that even that part of your day which you think is now is now outside, spreading the wellspring outside means that you bring that there. So the opposite of that is, is concealment. That you, you have a part of yourself that you think like is meant to die or is meant to be hidden at a certain point of the day. That's the taich, that's the meaning of limitation. You say that what you have inside has to be limited. That's where concealment comes from. Concealment in our, of godly energy in the world and the, and the godly energy in ourselves it begins with, how does consumption start? Well, it starts with the limitations. It stops here. Or like Pare. Pare is the king of Egypt. What is Pare? The Hebrew letters of Pare 
are the same letters as the word for oiref, which means the back of the neck. So when we approach things with just our external desire, we don't really put our heart into what we're doing. We just approach things with the back of our neck, so to speak. What ends up happening is, is that we have limitations in how far we go. We don't go all the way. If you consider uh, keeping Shabbos something really important, so then you go all the way in keeping Shabbos. You make sure the best food, the best wine, you're in the store, and you're like, yeah, we're going to get that too, we get that too. But if you don't care about Shabbos that much, then you're like, well, I know the Gemara says that I'm going to get paid back eventually for what I'm doing, but eh, I don't know. I don't see that right now. Right now, I have to, I have to lay the money out. Whatever. It, it, it's, it's, it's a perspective. When you're limited, when you're limited in your appreciation for something, so um, you also limit how much of your soul you give to that thing. So concealment, limitation are related to each other. You cannot have a concealment without a limitation. When people say, when you say to yourself, the green demons in yourself say, stop, that's where the darkness sets in. That's what that is. So, so what does Gemara say? You cannot have a world, you cannot have a concealment without limitation, so too you cannot have a world without the Jewish people. What does that mean? What a, what's our role in the concealment? It's our fault as a concealment? The answer is yes. There cannot be a concealment without the Jewish people because our role is to remove the concealment. It says in the Gemara that a person is supposed to say the world was created for me. And as everyone's explained, not just the world was created for me, but the concealment of godliness in the world is for my sake, so I should do something about it. That's why it's there. How do I remove the concealment? Says the Rebbe, this is through the study of Torah. That the word Yisrael is an acronym for the words. There are 600,000 letters of the Torah. Yisrael is an acrostic for 600,000 letters of the Torah. And through the light of the Torah, we, give, we illuminate the darkness of the world. And that's the function of the Avers HaBerudim. That's our function of elevating the sparks. That by studying Torah, we elevate and gather those sparks that have fallen through the shattering of the vessels, and we remove the concealment, remove the, the darkness. By studying Torah, wherever we are, we are able to remove the darkness. This is what we learned in another discourse. Um, the word Kaddish has three translations, right? Kaddish means God is holy in the holy abode. God is holy in the, wor- in the world, the work of His hands. God is holy forever. We learned, just recently, we learned that those three words of holiness are about the three ways we serve Hashem. We serve Hashem through our Torah study, through our mitzvahs, and through our prayers. Our prayers are connected to God the way He is in the holy abode. Our mitzvahs bring God's holiness to the world, the work of His hands. And our Torah study is how God is holy forever. The word forever also means concealment. Whatever concealment, whatever challenge we're, we're experiencing, it's a Torah that nourishes us and guides us and illuminates and removes that, that, that darkness from where we are. So that's the, um, the way we elevate the sparks of Ash- that are in the world. It's through the light of Torah. So that's how Torah is called an inheritance. Torah allows us to inherit and to, and to gather the sparks of Torah. Let's continue on now in the next paragraph. And this will help us understand the verse. And you'll consume all the nations. You'll literally means you'll eat all the nations. What does that mean? What are we eating? People aren't food. 
So what does the Torah mean when it says you'll eat the nations? Achainin, who the explanation is, just like when you eat food, you have energy, which doesn't make sense. If you're a human being, how come you receive your energy from inanimate, from vegetation and, and the animal? And the answer is, man does not live on bread alone. Rather, man lives because of the word of God, which is in the, in the bread. At the word of God, which is in the bread, the spark of teu, the spark of chaos, which is in the bread, has a higher source than the soul of man, the spark of God in the soul of man, which is the world of Atsilas. As I said before, that the world of, Atz- of chaos is higher than the world of Atsilas. So when you get an, a spark of holiness in you from the physical food, you're getting something which originates from a higher place than you. And that's why it gives power to a person as the world of chaos has an advantage over the world of perfection. When a person makes a bracha before he eats and after he eats, and then he uses the power of that food to learn Torah and to pray, he then is able to elevate this godly spark. So too, when you do business in the six days of the week, honestly, and from the prophet, you feed your family and your children. According to the Torah, you're doing tzedakah when you feed your family because you're doing kindness with them. So, especially if you're educating your family to be careful, do mitzvahs properly. And so besides the fact that feeding your family itself is kindness, especially if you're, if you're guiding your family to, in the right way, besides that every single Jew gives stuck according to the, what their ability. And some people give stuck up more than their ability. As the Gemara says, it's a great virtue to lend a coin to a poor man when he is in a state of difficulty. The simple translation of this Talmud passage in the Talmud is, you lend money to the poor man when, he is, when the poor man is in a state of difficulty. There's also another explanation that you lend money to the poor man when you're in a state of difficulty. And the Gemara says, great is the lender more than the, bar, more than the giver. It's better to lend money than to give, to give staka. Okay, so in short, we're talking about how um, uh, that, that Hashem puts us in the world to elevate the sparks and where we are, what we're doing um, the phys- our engagement, even the physical world, even engagement in business, is also serves to elevate all the sparks of chaos. And to uh, as we'll see from tomorrow, more about um, how our involvement in staka elevates the sparks, and how it's greater even to lend money than it is to give it stuck. To be continued. So I trust that you got the screenshot.